because there's an art to applying for jobs. It takes a little bit more effort than just pressing that submit button, right? There's some um, some some intention that needs to go into that application because keep in mind it's you against at, at minimum 300 people, right? It could be anywhere from 300 to 3,000 people. So you want to be mindful and intentional about applying for those jobs. So great tips in there. Phase three is how to nail the interview. A lot of people go into interviews stressed out, unprepared, nervous. And the purpose of that section is really to kind of flip your mindset from thinking that I'm going into this meeting, begging for a job, you know, expecting to be judged and switching it to, I have something to offer these people. This this is a conversation about two people that have something to offer one another. And we're just trying to see if we're a fit, right? So it's an opportunity for you to come in and find out if this company is a fit for you. That's what the conversation is really about, right? Welcome to the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast, the show where we discuss what it takes to create a sustainable long-term online business in today's fast-moving environment. We talk with industry experts and freelancers alike to find out what it takes to build and manage a location-independent business. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast. Today's guest is Labria Jones. Hello, Labria. How are you? Hey, you said it right. You were hesitant. (laughs) I, I stalled halfway through through saying it. I was like, oh, I don't know if I said this right, Labria. But uh, everyone's always so hesitant or scared to mess my name up. Here's the thing I am the only person that's required to know how to say it the first time. If you say it wrong, I will correct you. We'll move on. No one was injured. It's all good. But you stumbled through it, but you said it right. It's Libria. Libria, you are a character, you know, like your Instagram, your website, your your the video content you put out. I really love them. It's kind of studying you in, in advance of this interview. And, and you're you're very cool. And your website is beautiful as well. I must say, like, I absolutely love the, the layout and the design and everything. So for people who maybe aren't familiar with you, we have a lot of listeners over here in Europe and the UK and Ireland. And um, why don't you give us a little bit of a who are you and what is it that you do? Awesome. Well, thank you for that. No pressure. Telling everybody I'm cool. I'm all right. <laughs> Check out your Instagram. Like, I'll link it up in the comments. Like, It's cool. You're putting up all sorts of videos. Link it up. Decide for yourself if I'm cool. I think I'm pretty fun. So I am a social, what I call a social educator and remote work advocate. And um, so I teach people how to find and land remote work. A lot of the content that I share is really opening people up to the possibilities that are out there for them. A lot of folks don't know that they can work remotely. A lot of folks don't know that they can work from anywhere. A lot of people don't even think about the fact that they could travel and live in other places. And so I'm really trying to kind of open people's mind to that. And I have this audacious goal to help 10,000 moms land remote work so they can do great work from anywhere and show up for their families that the way the way that they desire. Um, I also have a travel community of over 21,000 moms who love to travel, who want to literally give their children the world. And aside from all that, I have a full-time job. (laughs) So I am an IT project manager for a uh, software consulting firm. We help help major companies implement data management software. So that's the day-to-day, your remote job that you have. And then outside of that, you're doing, you're doing a hybrid. Like it's very similar to myself. Like I have a business, I have a podcast, and then I have a job that I work as well. So it's interesting when you come across people, because sometimes people are very one or the other. It's like, you got to be an entrepreneur. You got to work for yourself. You're like, yeah, but you get paid pretty well when you have a remote job with a good company. And it gives you the freedom and flexibility to then explore your business creativity 
while not having that freelancer um, burnout, for lack of a better word, or the freelancer chase. You know, look, some people can do it really well, but I was a freelancer for almost five years before I joined Shopify. I ran my own SEO and, and uh, content business and web design. And it's not always easy, you know, like it was it was a graft. It was hard work and it was a lot of hours. And I personally didn't make that much money when I was doing it. So talk to me about helping people find a remote job. Like, it, where would you start with somebody who wanted to find a remote job? I usually tell people to start with one, going ahead and getting past the myths that they have in their head about remote work. A lot of people's blocker is a lot of people say, I want remote. I want a remote job. I want to work remotely. I want to work from anywhere. I want location independence. But then when you dig in and start asking them, well, where are you looking? What are you thinking about doing? They, they haven't done anything. They haven't even started because they see this thing that they want but it's completely blocked by whatever myths that they're believing in, right? They believe that remote work is for tech people. They rem- believe remote work doesn't pay well. They believe that remote jobs don't have benefits. They believe that they don't have enough experience to do remote work. So the first place to start is just to kind of get rid of the myths and get out there and look at, to see what's out there, right? All of the, um, those myths that people are believing, all of those assumptions that people have aren't based on anything. It's based on I'm assuming that this isn't for me. This is something I want, but I assume that this isn't for me. So the first thing I tell people to start is, you know, accept that it is for you. There's opportunities for you. And then go out there and find them. I have a free guide that I provide people with my favorite places to find remote work. And I always tell people that guide is completely agnostic of, you know, what type of work you do, what type of background you have, where you live, um, what kind of degree you have, whether or not you have a degree. It's full of job boards that are specific to remote work that have all kinds of remote jobs. They've got entry level remote jobs, customer service, remote jobs, finance, accounting, you know, things across the board, project management, recruiters, HR for people that are just now getting into the workforce and people that are experienced all the way up to, you know, the C-suite, right? People that are, you know, CEOs and executive VPs. So there's something for everybody. I think the place that I say to start is, make sure you're going to the remote work job boards because, you know, a lot of somebody just inboxed me earlier today and said that they've been looking for remote jobs and haven't been able to find them. And they were on Indeed and LinkedIn, which are fine websites. It's a great website to find jobs, but it's like, you know, looking for a specialized screw at Target. <laughs> sure, they have them. They might have it, but you're going to do some work trying to find it and they may not have it, Right. But if you go to a job board that specializes in remote work, you're going to have better options. So, you know, we work remotely, remote.co, workforce, flex jobs, websites like that that are specific to remote jobs. So that's usually where I tell people to start. I mean, look, that, that's really good. And I think you, you hit on something there as well that's really important is, is knowing, kind of knowing what you want from the company that you're going to apply for as well. Like, like when you say working remote, Do you mean working in your bedroom in your house in America? Or do you mean, I want to spend six months in Tulum every year in Mexico and I want to spend the other six months in Spain or something? You know, like, but truthfully, like, because there's people who want both. And then there's people who just want to be able to work remote and not have to be gone out of the house 12 hours a day driving to and from work who live in America, you know, anywhere. You know, I mean, like from California to Oklahoma, New York, wherever it is, where, where somebody is that, you know, they're sick of having to do the the subways. And it's the same in London, too, like having to go on the underground every day and go into an office and 
oh, it sucks, you know, it's hot as hell and it's packed and it's coronavirus everywhere. And I'm glad you pointed this out. I'm glad you pointed this out, Adam. Sorry to cut you off, but I just had to grab onto the comment that you made about, you know, thinking about what it is you want to accomplish with this type of lifestyle, right? Because work from, you know, remote work doesn't always mean work from anywhere. It doesn't. You know, some companies are going to require you to be in the United States. Some companies are going to require you to be in a specific state, right? So some companies are like, it's a remote job, but it's only for Texas or it's only for Georgia, whatever the case may be. So, you know, if you know what it is, what your goal is, then you can start to filter down those jobs and kind of get closer to what you're looking for. Maybe you want to work from home so that you can be at home with your children. And that's perfectly fine. Maybe you want to move abroad in which case you're looking for a very different type of remote job. And the things that tend to be better for people who want to expatriate are like remote first companies. You know, a lot of the technology companies that have built themselves up to be uh, thought leaders in the remote workspace, they typically don't care where you work from, right? But then just because your company doesn't say you can live anywhere doesn't mean that they don't believe you can travel anywhere too, right? Because you know, they may say that you need to be U.S. based for the most part, but that means that you can't spend more than 330 days outside of the U.S., right? That still means you could still possibly pick up and go for two weeks to a month and go stay somewhere else or for a little while. So, you know, really getting clear about what type of lifestyle am I hoping for? And that helps you to narrow down the opportunities, but it also helps you when it comes to, you know, the interview when you're trying to understand you know, what is the setup that they allow for so you can ask the right questions? I'm glad you pointed that out. No, because I think it is important because it's come up a few times even on, on these podcasts where it's funny because I, I really get both sides of it. I get the people who would never, you know, I would never work for a company and I'll only ever run my own business. And then you have the other side, which is hell no, I want a remote job and I want to work on my own stuff on the side. And I'm in the middle too, though, like, you know, tr- truthfully, like, you know, like, cause, I mean, I have a remote job, but I have the flexibility. You know, I'm fortunate that like you know, when you're in Europe, it's it's quite easy because they have this tax residency thing where you can spend, you know, half the year. Um, in Europe but right now it's just you just can't go anywhere because of, well it, it's not that you can't go anywhere it's, just a, it's, it's not like it was let's just put it that way but um, you know e- even working remote like I loved going to, going to cafes and spending maybe an hour or two there in the mornings and breaking up the day after the school drop off and, and like that's how I like to build my remote work day you know what I mean like where you spend some of it outside of the house and some of it inside of the house because then you're not in the house all day and for a period of the year, go somewhere else and work from somewhere else. You know, even if it's somewhere else in Ireland, like renting an uh, an Airbnb and going somewhere that's by the beach and just staying there instead of where I am. Because because when you have a remote job, it allows you that flexibility. And that's the key, I think, you know. And I believe in that. The flexibility is so important to me. And it's not that I hate being in an office. I actually love going to my company's office. I love my coworkers. I like hanging out with them. For me, it's the freedom to choose where I want to work. And I love that you said switching up. I actually just came back from a co-working space today. I've spent the last several weeks getting ready for this three-day conference that I just hosted. And so I've been, you know, heads down at my desk in my home office for three weeks and just needed a change of pace. And that was the beautiful thing about working remotely. You can choose what, what your environment is from day to day. And when we first went into the pandemic, I'd say about six months in, a lot of people were like, is this what you were talking about? Remote work, is it sucks. <laughs> is this what you're referring to? And I was like, this ain't this ain't it, guys. This is not it. You know, we're all stuck in our houses, you know, stuck in our houses with our spouses, with our kids all day. 
Nobody can go anywhere. Your houses are basically becoming your prisons, right? That is not the remote work scenario that I was talking about. I was talking about the fact that I can pick up and go to Prague for a few weeks and work, or I can, you know, go to Thailand for a few weeks and work. And one of the things I didn't mention, Adam, is that I actually took a group of people around the world for a whole year back in 2016. So I took a group of digital nomads, about 31 people left with me, and we traveled the world for a whole year living and working. We stayed in uh, four different countries for three months at a time, living and working. That's the flexibility that having a remote job provides. You know, We did uh, Prague, Czech Republic for three months, Chiang Mai, Thailand for three months, uh, Cape Town, South Africa for three months, and then uh, Medellin, Colombia for three months. And it was, it was excellent. Yeah, that is awesome. But that, and like that's an experience that you you can do when you've made the decision to the skill set that allows you to have a remote job. Because I, I think I think that's an important thing of it at the moment. Because I see a lot of people. I mean, even chefs. Like you know, I know people. I, years ago, when I was seventeen, I actually went to chef college and studied. I was going to be a chef. I wanted to work as a chef in the Caribbean on yachts, and uh, that was my goal. Because you get paid mad money over there doing that, apparently. But Anyway, I worked in Spain in a kitchen for like a week and I was like, this is way too hot. And <laughs> that was it. I just scrapped my chefing career there and then and moved into working in bars. But being the stereotypical Irish bartender, you know, but the, <laughs> where was I going with that? Sorry. I have people who are chefs, who've been chefs for years, you know, reaching out to me, asking me about, you know, how could I work online? Like I've never done it, I, I, but I'm sick of working in kitchens or kitchens are just, they're in trouble. Like it's been locked down and restaurants, are, it's very hard, you know, for restaurants to survive. Ireland's had like 500 days of lockdown. It's been a joke. So, you know what I mean? So, so like I see people who would have never transitioned, you know, like people in hospitality, uh, even people in construction who are like, maybe thinking about something that give me more flexibility, more freedom. How do I get started online? You know, or what skills and what I'm often talking, trying to teach them about is like, you're a chef, you work in a high pressure environment. You've got so many transferable skills. You know what I mean? Like from people management to stock management, inventory management, dealing with pressure, organization. It's like, but they don't see that. They just, I'm a chef, what do I know? It's like, you've like feed 400 people at a wedding, like, you know, getting it, like you've got skills. And, and that's, I think if you're new to it, you know, or you've never done it before, it's important to try and like make a list of those, what I would call transferable skills. Like you might not think of them as highly valuable, but companies are looking for that. Like, you know, if you can get somebody who's really skillful at managing people, at managing teams, building systems, like those people are so valuable in companies. That's one of the things that we did a whole panel on that. We did a couple of panels on this topic at the Quick Commuting Conference last weekend Conference is over, but the replays will be available pretty soon. And I talk about this very thing in the Remote Ready Bundle in my course. My father was a truck driver and he recently got injured, so he can't drive. Uh, And he reached out to me. He was like, you know, what can I do to work remotely? And one of the things I recommend to people that are moving from very physical work to wanting to work remotely is two things. One is exactly what you said. Start identifying your transferable skills, right? Start identifying the skills that you've utilized in that position that are transferable. If you worked in retail, you did inventory management. A lot of time you did schedule management. You've done merchandising and marketing. And there's companies like Shopify where your skills are useful, right? Online retail is a big deal right now. And so there are companies that are looking for those transferable skills But also now you have opened up uh, the ability to consult. 
you could be a consultant, right? So if you're coming from a retail space, there's so many people trying to open retail stores. What if you consulted with them on how to understand what their KPIs are for, for a retail company, right? How to build out your store, how to make sure that you don't run, you don't have out of stocks in your inventory, things like that. Um, and like you said, as a chef, you've been in a very high pressure situation, right? You've got event management skills. You've got resource management skills. You've got in- inventory management skills. So really start to lean into some of those transferable skills that can go across industries. The next thing I'll say is we have never been in a time where it is so easy to go and learn a new skill for free or almost free and then just go into another field, right? You've got YouTube University, basically. Uh, Facebook offers courses, Google offers courses, even Shopify offers courses, right? There's so many Canva office courses. You could go learn to be a graphic designer. You could learn to be an online marketer. Uh, Facebook advertising, social media advertising. There's just so many ways that you can learn a new skill. I've even heard stories about people learning to code and moving into doing development work. Google have their own courses now as well in uh, UI and UX and um, I think LinkedIn. Like So there's a lot of these. Part of the problem for somebody though is just identify what's the one that they want to go into. And I think it, it, it's important to you know pick your transferable skills and that's maybe to get your feet wet and get you know, like just kind of build yourself up because I imagine trying to convince a recruiter like, hey, I'm Adam, I've been a chef for 15 years and I'd be great in your tech company. <laughs> you know, like that's a hard sell to that recruiter. So, you know, versus like somebody coming from Facebook or Etsy or something like who's, you know, applying for the same position. You know what I mean? So I, I, I think that that, that will be the, the challenge for people. But that's where, like you're saying, if you've identified areas and skills in which you'd like to develop and you've taken you've shown initiative, like you've maybe taken a course or you've done some training in it and you, and you can show, you know, that would put you up there and it shows your your resourcefulness, your enthusiasm, your energy for um, for learning these new skills as well as having the transferable skills that you're talking about, you know? Yep. And the other thing I'd add is while you're in that learning period trying to transition, there's a lot of entry-level remote work that can be done as well, right? So customer service, uh, virtual assistant, social media uh, management, there's a lot of entry-level remote work that can be done that don't re- doesn't require a whole lot of experience or anything like that, that you can start to do, you know, so that you can start to build your profile that way as well. Yeah. And my last interview, actually, the one that will come out before this, I interviewed Hannah from Digital Nomad Kit and she... Ah, that's my girl. I would love Hannah. Oh, well, there you go. You know, Hannah. Yeah. Han- and like Hannah teaches people how to become virtual assistants. You know, that's her jam and well-paid virtual assistants. And uh, she's got 12,000 people, I think, has gone through her, her courses. Like, you know, she, and she's got a really cool community. Like it's, you know, they're really collaborative and, and engaged. And, you know, she's cool, you know, and, and she's she's built a really, a really cool online environment and encouraging environment and, she teaches the skills to help people to go out, you know, as, as a virtual assistant, really, like rather than landing a remote job, it's more be a VA sell packages. You know what I mean? Yep, be a VA sell packages. Love Hannah. Met her in Barcelona a few years ago and we've just kept in contact. And she actually spoke at the conference on two panels about this very topic. One panel she talked about was learning a new skill to work remotely. And the second she spoke on was data, uh, was entry level remote work. And like you said, she's built an excellent community and she's built a a wonderful structure that people can grab and learn from to build their own business. And it doesn't always have to be, I need to go get a remote job. It could be, I need to build my own thing as a freelancer. And that's one of the things that she teaches people how to do. 
So you do both, you know, so you have a job, full-time job, and you have online courses. You have an online course, so the, the remote ready bundle, which is where you kind of talk to me about that. So what does that do? If I take that, what does it do? Yeah. So the remote ready bundle is... I think it's 17 videos, but it's a a mini course basically that walks you through what I consider the four phases to land remote work. The first phase is where to find the jobs because a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people have no idea that there are so many remote jobs out there. And it's not just because of the pandemic. There have always been remote jobs out there. I've been teaching this course for six years now, right? So this is not a new thing. But the first phase is, you know, identifying where to find the job. So I, I show you the great places. There's, I think there's a list of 75 places to find remote work in there. I also teach people how to do searches better and talk to Google the way Google understands to give you better results. And then phase two, we go through how to apply for jobs because there's an art to applying for jobs. It takes a little bit more effort than just pressing that submit button, right? There's some intention that needs to go into that application because keep in mind, it's you against at minimum 300 people, right? It could be anywhere from 300 to 3,000 people. So you want to be mindful and intentional about applying for those jobs. So great tips in there. Phase three is how to nail the interview. A lot of people go into interviews stressed out, unprepared, nervous. And the purpose of that section is really to kind of flip your mindset from thinking that I'm going into this meeting begging for a job, you know, expecting to be judged and switching it to... I have something to offer these people. This conver- this is a conversation about two people that have something to offer one another. And we're just trying to see if we're a fit, right? So it's an opportunity for you to come in and find out if this company is a fit for you. That's what the conversation is really about, right? And then phase four is how to negotiate your offer. A lot of people don't negotiate offers. A lot of women don't negotiate offers. So that whole section really kind of talks you through why you must negotiate, how to negotiate, and things that you can negotiate other than salary. People don't realize that salary does not have to be the only thing that you negotiate. You can negotiate a number of things, anywhere from how many days you have off to your benefits. And there's even a story in there about someone that negotiated a free car and free housing for a year, which is crazy. That's awesome. And shares is another one. Like if you're at an early stage of a company that's potentially going to have an IPO, which a lot of these tech companies will do, shares is negotiable at the start of that, you know, especially if it's at that early stage, if those shares are either pre-IPO or under $100, like you can negotiate. Maybe they won't give you a higher salary, but maybe it'll give you more shares that'll vest over time. And that's a retention strategy for the company anyway, because you don't get the shares until you're there like two years or whatever. Um, You know, but a lot of Fintech companies, a lot of um, software companies would have share options and that can make you serious money too. You know, like if you get in somewhere that the share price goes up over time, like, you know, you look at any, like look at Google, Facebook, Amazon, Shopify, Pinterest. Yeah. Like if you got in anywhere and got given a couple of hundred shares or a couple of thousand shares five years ago, but there's examples of that now, you know what I mean? There's, there's, there's the next ones of those hiring, scaling, growing really fast now. And they're looking for people. And as part of, yeah, as part of your negotiation, I would say, don't, don't leave out shares. I know people who've been working in software jobs for years. It's funny you say that about women, because like, I know a woman who's not had a pay rise in four years and she's afraid to ask for it. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's nearly like afraid. I'm like, oh my God, every year I'm like pushing and seeing what I can get. And sometimes you don't get anything, but 
at least I made a, I made I made my case. You know, at least I tried. Like you know, that is the thing. So let me wrap up what the course is about. So that's it's it takes you through those four things, self guided. It doesn't take a long time. You could really knock the course out in a weekend. Like it's not one of those long drawn out courses. It's less than fifty dollars, and people can buy it in two installments. I'm so glad you pointed that out about you know people not even trying to negotiate. People are so afraid of no. Like just practice it in the mirror. It's not going to kill you. You will not implode. You, your brain won't melt. No, no is okay. And people forget that there's so many things in between yes and no also. So maybe they said no to what you asked for, but what else can they give you, right? What if they, if they say no, we're not going to give you a, a 15% raise. Okay, so you won't raise my salary 15%. What about a 5% raise and another week of vacation time? Or what about a 5% raise and 10% stock options, right? There's so many things in between yes or no. But I always tell people, if you don't ask the question, you are the one telling yourself no. You told you no. You didn't give them, the, you didn't even give them the chance to say yes. You didn't give them the chance to say no. You didn't give them the chance to say maybe. You told you no. They did not. So worst case scenario is they say no. And you're in the same situation you're in today. No harm, no foul, right? But I think... It's one of those things. It's the rejection and it's the fear of rejection. And it's a, it's something that, you know, people have an inbuilt, innate cringe to, you know what I mean? Like the, people don't like it. People don't like being told no. You don't like asking somebody out and them telling you no. You don't like asking for something and them telling you no. I'm always like, but do you like, but do you like being stuck better? No, I'm on your side. I'm okay with being uncomfortable. <laughs> I know nobody likes rejection, but damn, do you like being stuck in the same salary? Do you like being stuck in the same position? Do you like being stuck in a situation that you don't like? You don't like that either. So pick your hard. Pick which hard you care about. And that quick rejection is, to me, that's just data. It's just information, right? If they say no, now you know where you stand and you have a decision to make. Do I want to stay in this position or do I want to go somewhere else? If you don't ask, you have no idea where you stand. And you'll just keep making it up in your in your head. You'll have these loops about what could and couldn't happen and maybe will, maybe won't. I'm on your side. I'm all about asking, seeing where you stand. And at least then you have, as you said, the information to make the your own decisions then because all the facts are on the table. But I, I don't like that ambiguity of the what ifs and then not asking. So it's funny, I interviewed quite a few freelancers on this show and you know successful freelancers who've built their own businesses and when you're a freelancer like no is a part like you just got to get used to it it's like a muscle you just got to flex it you know it's like for every 10 calls you have you maybe get five hard no's three soft no's and two clients you know and it's, it's okay like it's like you, you, you kind of build a resistance to it where you don't take it personally but I think that's the key is the not taking it personally it's what's available for you at that time. It's not necessarily a personal dig at you if you did or didn't get that that increase. You know, it's um, these companies work within budgets and work within allocations. And, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> right. It is what it is. Right. It doesn't necessarily have to be personal. And here's the thing, even if it is, at least, you know. Right. Because otherwise it's been personal and it's been on the on the low and you didn't know about it. Right. I, honestly, I, I think about it this way. Imagine sitting around being hungry. Imagine your kids sitting around being hungry and never telling you because they're afraid you'll say no to what they want to eat. That makes it sound crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Come on, guys. Ask for food. <laughs> you want a raise? Ask for it. You want a promotion? Ask for it. You want a great project? You want on a great project? Ask for it. And at that initial stage, 
of recruitment as well. Like if you do the interview, like you're saying, like that's the best time. People are afraid at that point because like, yes, I got the job. But like that's actually the best time to negotiate because they want you and, and you've proven yourself. And what well, people are sometimes afraid to like push at that point or, you know, test the boundaries. But that's honestly an you know, I've seen this in multiple companies because I know people who work at bloody everywhere, like from Facebook, Etsy, LinkedIn, Oracle, Salesforce. Like we're in Ireland. All the tech companies are here because they don't have to pay taxes if they're, <laughs> if they're in Ireland. Ireland is a very healthy corporation tax uh, situation that the rest of Europe isn't happy about. But like, so basically, you know, in one street in Dublin, you have all the companies, you know, Slack, Stripe eBay, Etsy, PayPal, Facebook, Google. <laughs> it's like basically one street in Europe. But Ireland has a, a really good Apple as well. Yeah, a really good corporation thing. But anyway, so like the point is, I know people who work, work at or who have worked at all of these companies. And that's all, all of them have always said the same thing. Oh, wish I, wish I had a pushed harder when I was coming in. Like, you know, because the people who did might tell you about it if you become friends with them and they're like oh yeah you could have got more you could have done better there you know <laughs> you, did, you didn't ask it's just <laughs> like dating right it's just like dating like at the beginning of like before you're in the relationship that's when they want to bestow you uh, all the gifts on you and all the other things once you're in a relationship it's like i got you now <laughs> but that is the thing we actually did a panel on benefits and compensation in remote work at the quick commuting conference and one of the conversations it was two recruiters actually it wasn't recruiters it was two people that work in compensation. They're the ones that build out payment plans, how much people get paid, compensation bans. And even they said, always negotiate. They said that. Always negotiate your offer. And two, it is best to negotiate before you get in the door because that's when they they want you. And most recruiters expect you to negotiate. They come to the table with a band. They have a range. They know what they can play with, Right. And it's their job. Technically, it's their job to offer you the lower end of that range because <laughs> they've got a certain amount of money they can play with. And they want to get you, in their mind, the most value, which means the least cost, right? But they've got a range to play with and they fully expect you to negotiate. So do it. And I think people are afraid that the offer may get rescinded. I'm going to tell you something. Very rarely will a company rescind an offer because you counter offered more than they were willing to offer you. Very few companies will ever rescind an offer. And if they do, you don't want to work there. Because I like to say they failed a test. They failed a, a huge test. The very first time you advocated for yourself, they penalized you for it. If they can't handle you advocating for yourself when you walk in the door, what do you think is going to happen a year from now when you want a promotion or when you want to be treated well or when you feel like you're not being uh, supported, Right. If they were sending an offer because you negotiated, trust me, you don't want to work there. They did you a favor. Keep it moving. Yeah, no, I, I love that. But like you're saying, I've never, like at worst, people just say, no, you know what I mean? Or, or it's often from all of my conversations, it's never just no, it's I can't give you that, but I could give you this. You know what I mean? It's often like we're saying, it's a, it's a different share option. It's a benefits option. It's something about your health insurance or it's something about holidays or you know what I mean? Like each company is different, but um, there, there's often, as you're saying, it's within the offer. The offer and the full package isn't, it's not just the, your base salary. It's, it constitutes of multiple things. You know what I mean? Some of these companies will have um, kind of like expenses too that like let you help you set up your home office and your setup. And you know what I mean? Like there's lots of different ways that they can make it work for you. Agreed. And I, I'll give you a little bit into my negotiation 
Because like you said, they told me no, actually. I, all I asked for, because the salary came in at the right level, all I asked for was a signing bonus. That's all I asked for. I said, can I get a signing bonus? And they were like, well, we've never done signing bonuses before. And I was like, cool, I'm fine with being the first. <laughs> I'm, I'm cool with being the first. I'm like, all right, let's start a trend. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'll start this off. I'll be a pioneer. But their response was, well, we won't give you a signing bonus for the amount that you asked for, but here's what we'll do. We'll give you a quarter of that in moving expenses and we'll increase your base salary which was a better deal for me, right? Because I asked for a one-time lump sum payment and instead they embedded that in my salary, which means my bonus is calculated off of a higher number. And when it's time for me to get a raise, that number is already higher, right? I have a higher starting point. So they said no to my counter offer, but they ended up offering me something even better, quite honestly. And so don't be afraid to get that no, but you know, just don't be afraid to ask because also maybe they can't do it right now. Maybe they say, well, we can't accommodate, you know, that ask. Well, I come back and say, well, what about in six months or my annual review? Do we think we can meet that salary requirement during my annual review when I hit the one uh, one year mark? Right. So there's all these things, levers you can pull in these conversations you can have. It doesn't have to be adversarial. Doesn't have to be difficult. Doesn't have to be contentious. It's really a conversation about two people just trying to figure out how they can work best together. That's really all it is. That's it. It's your life too. You know, you're going to spend an awful lot of your life working for them many hours a day. <laughs> you get rid of your children so that you can work for them. You know what I mean? So like you want the best deal you can get. <laughs> you know, you're, you're just advocate, you're advocating for yourself. And there's nothing wrong with that. You shouldn't feel guilt about that. You shouldn't feel it's not a nasty thing. The more experience you have with it, the more comfortable you get in it. And, and you know, you don't always get what you want, but you might have got a better deal than you were being offered. You know, like ultimately, that's that's what it comes down to. And not to harp on the negotiation thing, but I do have to say this for the ladies out, for the women out there, um, at least in the U.S., we have a pay gap problem. I don't know if that's the case in, in Europe and in other countries. I, w- I would say so. Yeah, it's often in the news that women don't get paid as much as men. So know. the pay, pay gap is not an issue that we created. It's not a problem that we have to fix. But one of the things that we can do for ourselves to help address the pay gap is to negotiate. We continue to allow the gap to widen when we don't negotiate our salaries. And so I think it's our duty to ourselves and our duty is, you know, to fellow women workers to start to negotiate so we can do what we can to, to minimize that pay gap. Now, again, the structure of the system was not put in place by us. It's not meant to be fixed by us, but we do need to advocate for ourselves that we don't, so that we don't continue to exacerbate that issue. Absolutely. I think certain women are good at advocating for themselves, like especially anyone I know who works in sales, like software sales. Those women will sell, you know what I mean? Like not only the software, but they will, no, but like they will sell themselves to get the best deal that they can. You know, I've seen that and I know people who who work like that, but maybe people who aren't in frontline sales, you know, roles aren't as comfortable asking. And and like I'm saying, they they either avoid that conversation or they they don't want to have it because it's uncomfortable. I'm 100% on board with you. You know, equal pay, men and women, nothing. I have a young daughter. Of course, I want the best for her. And I hope that she's in the world that she has the same opportunity to make that the values, you know what I mean? Like, so it's, I'm, I'm all for it. And, but like you're saying, you as the individual have to take that ownership, like the responsibility, because nobody's going to give it to you if you don't ask for it and, and make your own stand and, and, um, 
try and get the best for yourself and the best deal. Libria, it's been a pleasure. I've absolutely enjoyed talking with you. I think you've given a lot of great tips there for people to get ready for finding a remote job and then how to negotiate when they you know, get through that interview stage, which I think was a really interesting way that this podcast episode ended up going. And I think it was really valuable. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is a great conversation. I could have talked to you for another hour for sure. Yeah, look, and, and me too, but I try to keep them around half an hour. We're 37 in now, so I think, look, I'll leave it there. Speaking of young ones, I like it's about my kids' bedtime now anyway, so I'm going to have to uh, go and do all that. Um, so where can people find you if they want to connect with you online? What's the best places? So I hang out on Instagram a lot. I do a live every Tuesday night answering questions. I share remote work tips every Wednesday, and I share remote jobs on a regular basis. So on Instagram, I'm Libria Jones. That's L is in Leo, I, B is in boy, R-Y-I-A. My website is libriajones.com. Um, you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Same name, same name across platforms. But it's all business over there. It's all business. <laughs> it's all business. We're not hanging out on LinkedIn. I'm not. But you know what? We didn't actually touch on it. It was something that I did want to touch on. It was just LinkedIn is really powerful, keeping your profile up to date adding connections um, and the job search and notification features that are on LinkedIn. Like I got my hire at Shopify through a recruiter off LinkedIn. Like they headhunted people in Ireland and I was one of those people. And I get job offers. The CEO of our company found me on LinkedIn. I was not looking for this job. He sent me a message on LinkedIn because he had done a search. My name popped up because my profile was up to date. I had all the right keywords in there. And he showed my uh, LinkedIn to people he had already hired that used to work with me. And they were like, yeah, hire her right now. So when he called me, when I got on the phone with him, the first thing out of his mouth was, I'm going to offer you a job. There was no interview. I didn't interview for the position at all. My LinkedIn was up to date. That's how I got this job. I love it. Yes, exactly. So let's end it on that note. LinkedIn is a place for business where you can connect with Libria and myself. But keep it up to date and keep it organized and look professional on there and don't be putting up holiday pictures and stuff like that. That's for your Instagram, you know, like know your platforms. I think that's important. Thank you, Libria. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been great. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast. Head over to the website to access the resources and links mentioned in today's episode at digitalnomadcafe.com.